Well, now I ask the congregation to be upstanding for the service and ex-service personnel as they enter the building. Please stand. I'd like to welcome each one to the meeting tonight. I'd like to welcome all of the service and ex-service personnel who have come along. You're very warmly welcome. I would also like to welcome all those that have suffered because of terrorism in this country. And this is a very special theme tonight. And we want to show our love to you and assure you of our prayers as we remember the sacrifices that were made because of terrorism during the course of the troubles. But we are grateful that we have a God of grace, and so we will sing this opening hymn, Amazing Grace. stand together.
You may be seated. I'm now going to ask Stella Robinson, and she is from the Southeast Fermanagh Foundation, SAF. Stella's two parents, Wesley and Bertha, were murdered by the provisional IRA in the Enniskillen Poppy Day Massacre on the 8th of November, 1987. I'm going to ask Stella to come and read Psalm 68, verses 1 to 11. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God, and let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God, yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. Sing unto God, sing praises to his name, extol him that rideth upon the heavens by his name Jah, and rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. O God, when thou wentst forth before thy people, when thou didst march through the wilderness, Selah, the earth shook, the heavens also dropped at the presence of God. Even Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. Thou, O God, didst send a plentiful rain, whereby thou didst confirm thine inheritance when it was weary. Thy congregation hath dwelt therein. Thou, O God, hast prepared of thy goodness for the poor. The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. Amen. Let us pray. O oh God, our Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for the one who is the God of the fatherless and of the widow. We thank you for the one that is the God of justice, the one who scatters all of his enemies. We thank you that we can come into the presence of a just God, but one who at the same time is loving, gracious, kind, long-suffering, forgiving. We thank you that we can draw nigh into thy presence because of thy amazing grace. Therefore, at the start of this gathering, we pray for that grace of God to fill all of our hearts and all of our souls, that we would hear the voice of God speaking to us. And so we commit this remembrance service to thee, that thy name may be honored and glorified. For Christ's sake, amen and amen. We're now going to have the act of remembrance I'd just like to say a few words about the act of remembrance before I hand over to Jackie. Uh, our marshal this evening was Jackie Hazlitt, who served with the UDR and also with the Royal Irish Regiment 
as a Lance Corporal, and Jackie will be leading the Act of Remembrance. The standards of the Royal British Legion, uh, Ocker Clocker and Five Mile Town, will be coming in during the course of the Act of Remembrance, and the Ocker Clocker standard will be borne by uh, Brian Fagan, who served with the RUC and the Royal Irish Regiment. And then Adrian Somerville, who served as a corporal with the UDR and with the Royal Irish Regiment, will be bearing the Five Mile Town uh, standard. We do appreciate them coming along tonight. Uh, we also have Luke Robinson, and he will be playing uh, the, the cornet during the course of the uh, ceremony. Now, there will be two wreaths laid, and the first wreath will be laid in memory of those who gave their lives during international conflicts, and that will be laid over here. I just want to read you this plaque. In memory of all who gave their lives in defense of our United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, our Commonwealth and allies during World War I, World War II, and in all other international conflicts, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. John 15, verse 13. Stanley Bingham, who served as a Lance Corporal with the UDR, he will be laying that wreath. And our Sunday school children are presenting the wreaths. We do this every year because we believe it is really important to teach our children and young people the value of remembrance. And the wreath that Stanley will be laying will be presented by Ellie Grace uh, Condell. And Ellie Grace's uh, grandfather, he served as a reservist with the RUC, and her great-uncle Richard Abbott served with the, the RAF, and Brian, her grandfather, also served with the UDR as, as well. And then there will be a second wreath, and this will be laid over here. And I just want to read you this plaque. In memory of all innocents, police, military, prison service, and civilians, murdered as a result of Republican or Loyalist terrorism within the context of the Northern Ireland Troubles. The Lord hates hands that shed innocent blood. Proverbs 6, 17. Uh, Clive Keyes will be laying this wreath. Clive's uncle, Ken Newell, was a Lance Corporal with the UDR. Ken was abducted in South Armagh and murdered on the 27th of November, 1991. And the wreath that Clive will be laying will be presented by another of our Sunday school pupils, Samuel Kerr. His great-great-uncle, William Little of Cess, Five Mile Town, served with the Inniskilling Fusiliers in North India and Tibet. His great-uncle, Eustace Kerr, uh, he served with the uh, UDR. He was seriously injured in an ambush outside Five Mile Town in 1978 and was awarded the British Empire Medal for uh, Bravery. So, without adding any more to that, I want to hand over to Jackie Hazlitt, and Jackie is going to lead us through the act of remembrance. Be upstanding as we receive the Royal British Legion standards.
They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, we will remember them. We will remember them. When you go home, tell them of us and say, for your tomorrow, 
we give out today. I present this wreath on behalf of the children and young people of our congregation in memory of all who gave their lives in war for our freedom and who sacrificed that we might live in peace. present this wreath on behalf of all the, of the children and young people of our congregation in memory of all who were murdered by terrorists during Northern Ireland's troubles and to honour the sacrifices made that we might be saved and kept free from harm. We remain standing for prayer. Father in heaven, we come into your presence. We thank you for your oversight over our nation in difficult, trying times. We thank you for prayers that were offered in those times. We thank you for deliverance in the field of combat. We thank you for the freedoms that we have, freedom to worship, freedom of assembly, freedom of the press, freedom to vote. We thank you for all these precious freedoms that are ours today. Lord, we come to you and we think of lives that have been lost and our heart mourns. And we thank you for the sacrifices that have been made for our land and for our nation. We come to you and we pray for those that mourn today, those for whom today is particularly poignant as they think of loved ones that have been lost. We pray for comfort and we pray for the binding up of the broken heart. And we pray for that awareness of the God of all grace, the Father of mercies. We pray, Father, for those who served you in our armed forces, in our security services, in our police, in our prison service. We thank you for the work that they do for our defense and for our freedom. And we pray that you would keep them safe and bless them in all that they do. And we pray for people who bring the gospel to those who serve, that you would bless them. And we pray that you would lead more of our armed forces to know thee as Savior and Redeemer. We pray, Father, that thou wouldest undertake for our King and for our government, and we pray you would give them a sense of the fear of God, and that our nation would once again return to the God of our fathers. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, and we think of coming days, and help us to pray much for our nation, that there would be a revival of true religion, a revival that only the Spirit of God can do, that that would be born 
in hearts and in souls. Father, continue to be with us for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to thank all who took part and who helped us with the uh, act of remembrance, and we do appreciate uh, your uh, assistance with that. We're now going to have a, a scripture reading, another scripture reading. Um, Cyril Elliott, and Cyril is representing the Ulster Human Rights Watch. We do appreciate these victims and survivors organizations that have come along to take part. Cyril's father, Corporal Jim Elliott, was abducted and murdered by the provisional IRA at the border at Newry on the 17th of April, 1972. And Cyril is going to read Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid it as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned away from his own way, and the Lord hath laid him in the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he had, put him, he had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied with the knowledge, shall my righteous service justify, justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Amen. Thank you, Cyril. Now going to ask Paul Toombs. Paul's going to come and, and bring a personal testimony. Um, I first got to know Paul several years ago. We've become good friends sense. And Paul, we'll hand over to you, and we'll hear how you uh, tell us uh, about the grace of God in your life. The Lord bless you. First of all, can I thank uh, Mr. McIntyre 
in the church session uh, for inviting me along here to speak tonight. And I'm very privileged uh, to speak on this Remembrance Sunday. I'm also very humbled uh, as I look out amongst the people here because there's quite a few here that have lost close family members as well throughout the troubles. And for you men who served during those dark days, um, over 30 years of terror and violence. Can we come to the Lord in prayer? Let us pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we pray that you will still our hearts and our minds now. Lord, help me to speak the words you would have me say. Open our ears that we might hear your wonderful truth. But Lord, most of all, open our hearts that we may have a desire to love you more deeply. Lord, strengthen us by our past experiences and sustain us by your holy word. Amen. On this, on the First World War Memorial uh, here in front of us, uh, there is an inscription written by Roger Kipling, and it reads, From little towns in a far land we came to serve our honour and a world aflame. By little towns in a far land we sleep and trust that world we won for you to keep. See, Kipling uh, knew what it was like to lose someone close and dear to him. For his only son, second lieutenant, John Kipling, was killed in action at the Battle of Lewes in September 1915, aged only 18 years of age. Kipling speaks of honour when a world is in chaos of war, his final sentence, and trust that world we won for you to keep. To remember the sacrifice of his son and so many other people for peace, for liberty, that we enjoy today. I had family members um, that also served in the Great War. Um, my great-grandfather is at the top here, and uh, my great-uncle, who was killed at the Somme on the 1st of July, and his son, Robert, who was also killed at the Somme in September. And folks, we'll have to remember these folk that give and sacrifice their lives for us. We need to realize the truth of the gospel, the honor and the sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that was made on a cross for each and every one of us.
the children's family tried to lead a normal life. But the children were aware of the threat from an early age. Growing up in Warren Point was normal as any other family. We had two loving parents. We went to school. We went to church, Sunday school, and played with our friends. The only difference was my dad was in the Ulster Defence Regiment. We are told not to tell our friends that dad was in the army. For I remember dad saying, loose talk cost slaves. We were taught not to stand in front of our front door to ask people to identify themselves during the hours of darkness. Every morning, Dad would check underneath his car, taking different routes to and from work, and the keeping of a personal protection weapon under a cushion in our living room. This was normal for us growing up, but these precautions were necessary to stay alive against a well-informed ruthless terrorist organization in what was a predominantly nationalist Republican town. And folks, we as children were part of that survival team. And it wasn't until the 3rd of August, 1976, that this danger became reality when Dad was shot en route to his place of work on the Dublin Road. Although being severely wounded, he managed to keep control of his car and drove to the customs station, where he was then rushed to hospital. After Dad's stay in recovery in Musgrave Military Hospital, right, life resumed as normal. And then five years later, on the 16th of January, 1981, at 11 a.m., while at school, our world would be plunged into darkness, never to be the same again. Folks, I can remember that day just like yesterday. I can remember exactly where I was. I was 15 and a half, going on 16 years of age. I was the eldest of five children. And I was up out in the playground in Newry High School. And a friend came up and said, you're Paul, you're to make your way to the headmaster's office. Your dad's been shot. Obviously, he had been shot before. And uh, I didn't ask the question, well, was he alive or dead? But when I made my way to the office, uh, when I hit the corridor, 
Moore Macaulay, the vice principal. Um, he's a guy over six foot tall, and he just hugged me ever so tight, and he held me the whole way to the headmaster's office. I remember feeling slightly embarrassed about it. Um, you know, why was this man hugging me? But I can tell you now, folks, that was the first time the Lord put his arm around me. And I felt that comfort and that peace. In the office was my brother and two sisters. There was a sister at home. She was only three years of age. Um, and they were being cared for by my grandmother because my, grand, my mother had gone, been in hospital. She had undergone a serious operation. And in fact, some of my sisters thought it was my mum. Um, and we made our way home in my grandfather's car uh, from Newry to Warren Pines, roughly about seven miles. And that seemed to take forever. And when we arrived outside the door, the, my granny was there and a, a lady, Kay Whiteside, from the UDR Welfare. She was a sergeant in the Greenfinches. And when I seen the blinds drawn, I knew that my dad was dead. We waited on my, our minister, Reverend Mervyn Dixon, to arrive. And when he arrived, we made our way up to Daisy Hill Hospital, where Mum was, for our minister to tell Mum that Dad had been killed. And you know, one of the difficulties for me, when I was there, I was asked to go to the mortuary along with a couple of my uncles to identify my dad's body and to see those bullet, bullet wounds in his face was horrendous absolutely horrendous the evil that, that that man can do to another man I remember reading a report on the murder and the, one of the police officers had said that the vein in his neck was still jumping. It was terrible. After the funeral and all the media attention and all those who had come to sympathise with us had left, we got down to living life as best we could. We licked our own wounds, you might say, and only through the help of some close family friends. You know, folks, we have to keep living life. Life doesn't end after you lose someone very close to you. There was no counselling in those days. This is when I first began to get, uh, carry burdens. The burden of pain, the burden of grief, the burden of fear, the burden of responsibility. And I have to say the burden of bitterness. 
I remember at the wake, people would say, Paul, you're now putting their hand on my shoulder and say, Paul, you're now the man of the family. At 16 years of age, I wasn't ready to be a man. And that in itself is a burden. After leaving school, I went on to Greenmount Agricultural College, then on to work for a, a gentleman called Roy Harper. It was while I was here I met Valerie, got married, and began to raise a family, focusing my attention on work and the rearing of my family. But the journey throws up many storms and many challenges for each and every one of us. Ours came in the form of Eamon Collins, who after 17 years after my dad's murder, made a documentary and wrote a book outlining his activities in the provisional IRA and his role along with another one of my dad's work colleagues, how they planned and how they took part in the murder of my dad. These men worked with him on a daily basis. They lived as neighbors, yet they conspired to kill him. Such betrayal. If that wasn't bad enough, this book, Killing Rage, came out. And the first chapter, as you can see here, is called The Killing of Ivan Toombs. Imagine writing a book and outlining the details of how they killed my dad. All this information we had never been told about. The naming of one of the gunmen, how the murder took place, and the graphic the graphic details of how my father had physically fought with one of his attackers. And if you would permit me, I just want to read you from the UDR Association Rule of Honour. Shot by the IRA at the customs post where he worked, one gunman covered the customs office on, the, on duty at the door. The second burst into Toombs' office, weapon in hand, took up a firing position and pulled the trigger. The gun jammed. Toombs tried to reach for his pistol in his briefcase. The gunman lunged at him. Toombs grappled with him and being the stronger would have overcome the assailant. But the second man, hearing the first calling for him, ran down the corridor, told his companion to stand aside, open fire, as Toombs lay dying, the first calmly cleared his weapon and pumped further rounds into his body to make sure he was dead. That's my dad. That's the man that, that, that every time I fell down, picked me up. We lobbied Parliament, and with the help of our local MA, Danny Kennedy, we were successful in getting these questions raised in the House of Commons. How could anybody write a book and make monies out of their evil deeds? 
the newsletter picked up the story and within 24 hours of this publication here Eamon Collins himself was murdered I remember Sinn Féin's response this folks we were now two years into the Good Friday Agreement but do terrorists keep agreements they simply deflected the question and they said Eamon Collins had a lot of enemies not only in Republican circles loyalist circles and even some of the family of his so-called victims have been in the press recently there was a threat on the family again by telling our story this had made us a target what did this do this brought more stress more anxiety more burdens and it was shortly after this in the white well in Belfast that I gave my life to the Lord getting him on my knees confessing I was a sinner and asking Jesus into my life one of the pastors gave me a New Testament Bible which is so so precious to me I began my Christian life with such enthusiasm was I go to go into the ministry was I to become a missionary what did God actually want me to do but you know God sometimes just wants you to be who you are and to wait in his timing for it is but by the grace of God that we are who we are if anyone ever says being a Christian is easy it's not the journey of a believer has many highs and many lows we stumble and fall like anyone else there's nothing quick and easy about walking with God but I can safely say this there's something life-changing an inner peace that I had never had before this is probably the last photograph of us all together before mum passed away Allison was the only one to join the services um, and uh, after mum's death a lady who had held our family together through those dark difficult days a lady of great courage wisdom strength and who loved the Lord this came as a massive blow to us all and as I say this is probably the last photograph of us all together it was also around this time that HET the historical inquiries team was set up to review all trouble related murders along with my local MLA again we met senior detectives within HET who told us they would leave no stone unturned and I've heard that phrase many many times but that was said to us as a family they would leave no stone unturned to give us as a family the answers surrounding our dad's murder and where possible bring conviction against those involved which to us brought comfort to know that we were being 
actually listened to, and that action might be taken, at least we would know who was involved. What actually did happen? Was it right what was written in this book? And possibly with the advancement of technology, evidence might be available to bring about a conviction. The least that we deserve is the truth and to know as victims. Because they know who we are. How wrong and how naive we were. Those wounds that had not properly healed were reopened. Not only were we dealing with the pain and the grief and injustice of the past, we are now dealing with the injustice of the present. For when those who have murdered your loved ones have not been brought to justice or before the courts to bear the burden for their crimes, who then carries that burden? Is it society? Is it our government? Is it our police? Is it our politicians? You know, when people are let down, they lose hope, they lose trust, they lose faith, and some even lose For me, I had lost hope. Somehow I had lost my journey and my focus in Christ. It felt as though I had run into a brick wall. I couldn't control my emotions. I would just break down crying. Things kept going round in my head. I could not sleep. And when I did, the same issues would wake me still surround, going round in my head. All those fears from the past seemed so real again seeing Dad's face in the mortuary in Daisy Hill and seeing those bullet wounds. I didn't want to socialize. Didn't want to go to church. Didn't want to go to work. Bed seemed the safest place. I even wondered, was life worth living at all? I could see the effect that it was having on Valerie and the kids. And after a period of time, they persuaded me to go to my local GP, who prescribed medication and recommended counselling, which for me, at that particular time, didn't help. And it was through these difficulties that Valerie herself came to faith. Praise God. And I can remember her sitting in bed reading her Bible and her praying. I remember I felt embarrassed and comfortable. Was I not the Christian? Was I not the stronger? Was I not the man of the family? How and why had I become so weak? In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, Jesus says this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden light. You know, God hears you when you call from the heart, and he will never let you down. Sometimes God breaks you down and molds you into who you, who he wants you to be, not what you think you should be. If you turn to God in prayer and his holy word, there you will find real truth. For God is the source of all truth. It's by putting our faith and trust in him we will have real peace in our lives. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And as I said, God always, always keeps his promises. Yes, folks, that sense of law still continues. And you know, I still have difficulties. But I praise God that there's other Christians, and some of them are in this church tonight, who have helped me enormously. And people that I can call friends. And you know, if you call from the heart, Jesus hears you. I would far rather suffer with Christ than have everything and not be in the kingdom along with the Lord. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again, was lost, yet is found. I have been in the depths of Jordan, I have come out the other side, washed clean by the precious blood of the Lamb. God reaches out to every one of us here tonight. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter if you get lost, for he will guide you back to the narrow road. For he loves each and every one of us. God does not forget what we have gone through, our grief and our pain. He knows about darkness and the shedding of blood and sacrifice. 
He knows your burdens, and he wants to lift them from you. If you seek the Lord, he will answer you. He will deliver you from all your fears. But the question is this. Is your life's journey, where is it taking you to? Do you know truth, absolute truth? The truth that can only be found in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Paul, I would like to thank you very much for sharing the story of your life, your family, your father in such a, such a personal way, and I believe a God-glorifying way, and how the Lord brought you to peace. Well, it's a story that shows us so much about that amazing grace of our God. We're now going to have the, the offering hymn, and the, the offering uh, tonight will be giving a donation to the Poppy Appeal, and we'll also be giving some support to uh, Sazra and the excellent work that they do in being a gospel witness amongst our armed forces. And so we'll remain seated while we sing this hymn together. O Christ, what burdens bow thy head, our load was laid on thee. Thou stoodest in the sinner's stead, didst bear all ill for me. A victim led, thy blood was shed. Now there's no load for me.
and survivors organizations tonight and we have had representation from from Seth. Kenny couldn't be here but Albert and Hazel are here and Seth have uh, put up this tremendous display of their memorial quilts which are both here in the main meeting house and also in the foyer. There will be supper afterwards. So do you take opportunity please to l look at the uh, quilts. They are but a snapshot of the many lives that were lost during our troubles and we appreciate uh, their support with that. We also uh, appreciate Jonathan Larner uh, from the Ulster Human Rights Watch, uh, Jill Baxter as well uh, from the Castle Hill Foundation and it's also great to have Sharon with us from Ely Centre and the good work that they do and Enniskillen is also appreciated. Um, we're having someone from the Castle Hill Foundation, David Fitzsimmons now and David served as a Lance Corporal in the Ulster Defence Regiment and he is coming now to read the scriptures, Revelation chapter 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till a thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark, upon their foreheads or in their hands 
and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, and such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations, which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, and compassed the camp of the saints about, and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven, and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night for ever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Thank you so much, David, and we really appreciate those that have come along to read the Scriptures this evening. I want to share with you a few thoughts in closing from the book of Matthew chapter 11 and the verse 28. Matthew chapter 11 and the verse 28. Paul has already mentioned this text, and he didn't know what I was preaching on, and I felt encouraged by the way he brought us to this text, and I just want to reflect on it just for a short time before we come to a close this evening. Come unto me, all ye that labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me, all ye that labor under heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Younger people in our congregation may struggle to understand the extent to which this little piece of land consisting of six counties, the size of Yorkshire in England, how it was engulfed by a terrorist onslaught 
which took thousands of lives over a course of almost three decades. It was not a war. It was a terrorist campaign of murder aimed at destabilizing society and overthrowing the government. And there were terrorists on both sides, Republicans and loyalists, who believed they could advance their interests by the gun and the bomb. Members of our security forces were murdered. Thousands of civilians died, and many died simply because of their religion. No other reason. The Belfast Agreement, which was signed 25 years ago, and there has been a lot of talk about that this year in the media, Belfast Agreement is seen as an integral part of what is called the peace process. The guns fell silent, the bombs ceased. Northern Ireland started to change, but we know the shadow of the gunman is still there. We're aware of that, but things have changed quite dramatically. But there was a price, a price that was paid. Terrorists, murderers were released, some after serving a very short time for the most heinous of crimes. It was a peace without justice. It was a peace which put political murder, sectarian murder, into a different category than the person who killed in other circumstances. Who paid the price for that peace? It was the people that are represented here tonight, the victims and survivors of terrorism. Society moved on, but still there were empty chairs, heartbroken homes, and for many, justice had died. The victims of other atrocities can campaign. The Bloody Sunday families had their £200 million inquiry, and we do feel for those families. They lost loved ones too, but there was a huge inquiry there. The Hillsborough families in England, it's a different context. It was a tragedy at a football ground, but they fought for 30 years for justice, and they were commended for what they did. But the victims of terrorism in Northern Ireland, who are caught in the maelstrom of this dysfunctional society, where murder has been legitimized and where justice is dead, they have no justice. And as Paul has said tonight, many have no truth. I think it is important to briefly articulate that background, because that is the reason why I was so passionate about having this service this year, because we ought to recognize the victims and survivors of terrorism, not only from the point of view of looking back, but none of us want to go back to those days. None of us want to see this country caught up in the murder and mayhem that took place in the past. Have lessons been learned from the past? We hope and we pray so, but yet there is a sense of deep anxiety about it all. And we have to teach our young people and our children our history and what happened. It's also very important. As I thought of a message from the Lord for tonight from the Word of God, my mind was drawn to this text because these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. They are red-letter words. And I think of this word rest, rest for broken hearts. What does the word rest mean? What images does it bring to your heart and to your soul? 
We have the sight of someone who's relaxed, someone who's refreshed. We have the sight of someone who is weary, perhaps, someone who's overwhelmed, and yet they're brought to a place of peace. And this is what Jesus says here. Come on to me, all ye that labor. You're laboring. You're heavy laden. You're broken. I will give you rest. And this text is an invitation, an invitation from the Savior to come. Come unto me, he says, and I will give you rest. This rest is, is not found in something that, that we can conjure up, something that we can do. It's, it's not found in, in some counseling session somewhere and I do not diminish the work of counselors. Some do an excellent job in helping people. But this rest that Christ is talking about doesn't come there. It's not some kind of psychological rest or anything of that nature. It's spiritual rest. It's the rest that Christ alone can give. It's the rest that Christ alone can provide. Come unto me, he says. All ye at labor under heavy laden is what I give you. And we have to come to him. We have to ask him for this rest. And there is a word for this rest that is a good gospel word. It's the word grace. And grace is what Christ gives that we have no right to. We don't deserve it. But he gives because it is the rest that comes from his open hand. And we have a God tonight who has an open hand. It's not a a clenched fist. It's a hand that gives. And so I just want to briefly share with you just four words that come to my mind, five words that speak of what this rest is and how we can have this rest. It speaks of peace, first of all. Rest that the Lord gives is the rest of peace. I grew up in the town of Colerain, a place that did suffer from the troubles, but not anywhere near to the same extent as people that lived in other areas in Northern Ireland. There's one particular incident that stands out in my mind. It was the murder of the Reverend Robert Bradford. I think for many at that time, it was Ulster Protestantism's JFK moment because the Reverend Robert Bradford was such a good leader and such a good and honest politician. I went back to that book that his wife wrote. It's, it's called A Sword Bathed in Heaven. I remember reading that as a teenager and being moved by that book. And I went back to that book again as I was thinking about the meeting tonight. And Mrs. Bradford said that on the night her husband died, she opened her little daily light, and she read these words. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. The Lord came with a message of grace at that time of need. And she said 
uh, she went to the funeral. There was thousands of people lining the roads. And yet, in the midst of it all, the words came to her mind, Be still and know that I am God. But the most significant moment for her was after the funeral, and she saw the, the mound of earth, the grave. And she said it was as if God was beside her saying these words. As Judas Iscariot had a part to play in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and was insignificant in my final plan, so the terrorists had a part to play in Robert's death, but our an unimportant part to my mighty purpose. And she sensed that God was in charge. And that's something we always must remember whatever we go through, whether it is our past and our history or whether it is something that took place 10 or 20 or 30 years ago or whether it's something that we're facing in life now, something in our families and our homes and we're struggling to comprehend it, that we can be brought to a peace with the knowledge that there is a God in charge who makes no mistakes. And he even allows evil men to do the most serious of things and we cannot comprehend why that would be, but yet God works a mighty plan out of all of that. Because ultimately, he is God. But there's also the peace of comfort. I was reflecting on something else that I grew up with at home. A story that my parents often shared with me. It was the story of the murder of the Reverend Hector McMillan by the Simba terrorists in what was then known as the Belgium Congo, now it's a year. They were American missionaries. The McMillan family were American missionaries, and they were serving in that place with Northern Ireland missionaries. And the rebels came to the house where the McMillan family were and where the McAllister family were. And the, the story is told in a book. I don't know if it's in print now, but the story is told in a book of how the terrorists came, and there were these two missionaries, and their wives and their families. And the terrorists ordered the two missionaries out, and the two men went out of the home, and of course the wives they didn't know if they'd ever see their husbands again. And as those two men walked away from the home, one of the terrorists just turned around with his, his gun and just sprayed bullets around the little room of that house where there were children and where there were women. Not one person was killed. There were some superficial wounds, but everyone survived that. It was an incredible miracle. And then, as the two men with their backs to the gunmen heard those gunshots in their family home, they instinctively stopped. That was their wives and children. And as they stopped, the terrorists shot at them. And Hector McMillan died instantly. And Bob McAllister was untouched, and he looked round, and he said, you've just shot my brother. And then they shot at him, and the bullet grazed his head, and he fell to the ground. And as he fell to the ground, he lay there still. The terrorists thought he was dead, and they left. And then his wife came out with another lady, and they found what had happened. And they brought the body of the Reverend Hector McMillan back in, and his wife was there, and six sons, six sons, six children, away in a foreign land. And you know what that lady did? 
she gathered her sons around their daddy's body, and she said, Missionary work is a work of sacrifice. Some are called to give money and some time. You've been called to give your daddy. He was a great and wonderful missionary. That's comfort. Only God can do that. And that's beyond all our comprehension. The Apostle Paul talked about a peace that passeth all understanding. And if you that peace in your heart, the comfort that only he can bring. But then as I think of rest, I think of healing. The Bible says that the Lord can do something. He heals the broken in heart. He heals the, the broken in heart. And that's something that no doctor can do and no surgeon can do. It's something that no drug can ever achieve, but it's something that Christ can do alone. He healeth the broken in heart. How does he do that? I think for those that have suffered at the hands of evil and have lost loved ones in the midst of bloodshed, murder, as the survivors and victims of terrorism have experienced. There is a healing that is found in a belief in the God of justice. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a famous German theologian. He was murdered by the Nazis during World War II. He was one of the few people in Nazi Germany who stood up to the Nazis. And wasn't just a theologian and a minister, but he was a political activist campaigning against the Nazis. It was dangerous work. He lost his life for it. He was once asked if he could have any compassion for his Nazi enemies, given their evil actions. And he said, It is only when we understand the grim reality of God's justice that our enemies will face that we're moved to compassion. The last reading brought us face to face with the great white throne. When the dead, small and great, will stand before God, I think there's healing there. There may not be justice in this world. Even when there is justice, it is an imperfect justice because the nations of men are broken, broken because of sin. But God is truth and God is justice. And you can rest with that. Nobody wants to be in the shoes of someone who is murdered on the judgment day. But there's another source of healing too. The, Isaiah, the reading from Isaiah 53 talked about us being healed by his stripes. Healed by his stripes. By his wounds we are healed. Healed by the wounds of Christ. The healing that is found through Christ himself. We read, we sang the hymn earlier, A victim led, thy blood was shed. And I have often said, and I've said it here in the congregation, really, those words theologically are not quite right. And there's hymnology, and then there's theology, and sometimes the two don't quite match because there's poetry engaged. And Christ is not a victim as someone else is a victim. Because Christ is the very God of glory, and he was in charge. And as another hymn writer said, he could have called 10,000 angels. And so he wasn't the helpless victim. He was the God of glory. And so it is slightly misleading to talk of him being a victim. But yet, I got thinking about this again. And 
There is the humanity of Christ, the deity of Christ, and he surrendered himself to humanity. And in surrendering himself to humanity, he certainly did take the place of a victim. Because as far as the Romans were concerned, they victimized him. As far as the Jews were concerned, they victimized him with their false accusations. And so, in many ways, he represents all of the injustices whenever he was taken and crucified on that cross. And yes, there is the sense in which you're healed by his wounds. Because why did he die there and why did he suffer there? He died and he suffered there for you and for me. That means he understands everything. Bonifer also said the deep meaning of the cross of Christ is that there is no suffering on earth that is not borne by God. There is no suffering on earth that is not borne by God. And he was a Lutheran. And that very much goes back to the theology of Martin Luther and his theology of the cross. There is no suffering on earth that is not borne by God. Christ is touched by everything that we will ever suffer and experience in this world because he became man for us. And he was tempted, Paul said, at every point that we are tempted. And he suffered in every area that we could possibly suffer. And that immediately brings us into the, the darkness, the wonder of Calvary, when Jesus suffered more than we could ever realize. But why did he do it? Because ultimately we're all sinners. Ultimately we are all without hope. And this brings me to the next thought. To have rest, we must have forgiveness. We must have personal forgiveness. To have this rest, we need to be in that right place with God. And as I've said, we're all sinners, and we need to be forgiven by God, and we need to have peace, because on that great judgment day that was read about earlier, there will be people have done terrible things against humanity, but there'll be people, decent people, church-going people, they'll also face the judgment on that day, because their sins were not forgiven by the precious love of God. They never sought forgiveness. They never came asking for this rest that Christ is offering. You see, the reason why the world is such a messed up place, and it is a messed up place, there's been many messed up lives and there's messed up nations. And any one time there's terrible wars going on and people are losing their lives and the awfulness of it all is because of sin. This world has been visited with a curse. And the only way by which we can have hope in the midst of this world is acknowledging our own sin and coming to Jesus Christ for life, coming to Jesus Christ for redemption, for forgiveness. That's the only place of peace. And that's why we need faith. So in order to have this rest, you need to have faith. Faith in Christ alone. We don't put our faith in the church. We don't put our faith in a creed or in a statement of men. We put our faith in Christ alone, the person of Christ alone. Bishop J.C. Ryle, Anglican bishop the city of Liverpool, the first Anglican bishop of the Diocese of Liverpool, a great author and a great preacher in the 19th century, he said this, Mark, what a gracious offer Jesus makes. I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. How cheering and comforting are these words. Unrest is one great characteristic of the world. Hurry, vexation, failure, disappointment. Stare us in the face on every side. But there is hope. There is an ark of refuge for the weary as truly as there was for Noah's dove. 
There is rest in Christ, rest of conscience and rest of heart. Rest built on pardon of all sin. Rest flowing from peace with God. And that's the only way by which we can have this rest is to have peace with God. Over in the book of Revelation, chapter 14, we read of a contrast. Those whose souls are lost forever in Revelation 14 and 11, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. No rest. For eternity, no rest. And then we come to verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works to follow them. Brings us to eternity. Where will you spend eternity? Have you the rest that is in Christ? I pray that you have. Let's sing the words of this closing hymn. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm.
us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your presence tonight, for your grace. We pray that thou wouldest write your truth upon every heart and bless each one that has come here to join with us. We thank you for the food that has been provided. Bless us as we eat and have fellowship together. And when that is done, take us to our homes in safety. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship, the eternal spirit be our abiding portion now and evermore. Amen. We remain standing for the first verse of the National Anthem. You may be seated. Please don't rush away. There's supper for everyone uh, through into the prayer room and on into the church hall. So uh, please, please don't rush away. Thank you so much for coming along tonight. Um, Seth have left a, a visitor's book it's sitting there on your right-hand side, um, just in connection with the display. And if you can fill it out, sign it, uh, they would greatly appreciate that, and, um, and uh, we look forward to having some fellowship around a cup of tea now. Um, I see at the door, and, and I ask the, the two rows, service and ex-service men, just to make their way out as well uh, for, for their supper, and those that have helped with the meeting and read the scriptures, you make your way through as well, and, uh, and then everyone else follow on, and uh, we'll see you in a few moments.